0: hello
1: hey john how's it going
0: oh it's, it's going fine so where are you this week it, it sounds really peaceful you hear the the leaves rustling and the, the birds chirping
1: yeah i know right it's it's really gorgeous here
0: so i'm guessing you're maybe taking a little break from industrial heritage and going for a walk in the park or something
1: Well, it is a park of a sort, but it's still an industrial heritage site. So right now I'm actually hiking around the slag heaps of the Le Bois de Cazier, which is a a former coal mine in southern Belgium. And I know it is actually really peaceful, and I I just, I guess I kind of want to be in the, the moment and enjoy it. So yeah, I'll call you back.
0: Welcome to another episode of Sundowners. Where's my wife? Long distance conversations about architecture, place, and global travel. I'm John Golden.
1: And I'm Sarah Rovang.
0: So, Belgian slag heaps, huh? I I guess I have kind of a hard time picturing something called a slag heap, you know, as being a, a nice place to hike.
1: Well, you know, they're covered with new forest and hiking trails now. And when you actually climb to the top of the tallest one, you can get this amazing 360 degree view of the region.
0: And what's that like?
1: Well, I mean, there is some pretty depressing post-industrial scenery, but there's also some lovely pastoral countryside. And from where I was standing at the top, I could hear some kids playing soccer on a field down below. And it was just kind of unseasonably warm that day, and it, it seemed like everything was just coming back to life after the winter.
0: Yeah, you know, Santa Fe has kind of been having that same vibe lately. You know, the birds chirping and wind chimes blowing in the breeze. You know, it feels like the sounds of spring are upon us. And speaking of sounds, this week we're going to do a deep dive on the aural portion of Sarah's Travels.
1: Yeah, so I'm planning to do this longer blog post next month for the Society for Architectural Historians as a spoken word essay with audio recordings built in, so I thought we could use Sundowners this week as a way to kind of build up to that, and to maybe talk about some of the issues that I'll be fleshing out in more detail later this month.
0: So, make sure that you're listening in stereo, and get ready for some sounds. (laughs)
1: that was a good sound
0: (laughs) thank you but seriously folks so i know you talked a bit about this soundscape element in the pilot episode all the way back in july but maybe you can give our listeners a little refresher of why you wanted to have an audio component of your trip
1: Well, it just struck me that usually the discipline of architectural history is so visual. And I mean, sometimes it's haptic, too, you know, the way we we feel space. Um, But, you know, when we're learning about architecture in a classroom, we're mostly just looking at photographs and floor plans and other kinds of architectural drawings. And so, you know, when you go to, like, take a slide exam, for example, you might be asked to identify a building based on, say, an image of its facade. But no one would ever play a recording and ask you to identify a building based on its sound. But, you know, when you think about it, sound really activates a building in a unique way.
0: What do you mean by activate?
1: Okay, well, let me give you an example. So take where I'm staying in Paris right now. It's this uh, former convent that's been turned into apartments. And in the sort of lobby area, there's this gorgeous staircase with these old wooden steps. And whenever I hear someone coming up the staircase, even if I'm inside the apartment and have the door closed, I imagine that staircase, you know, I see it in my mind and I I can even sort of feel the sensation of walking on those wooden stairs myself. And, you know, sometimes I also imagine all of the nuns who have walked up and down those stairs over the centuries. Or for instance, You know, if you hear a a reverberating echo when you're in a space, that sensation of being in a big cavernous environment or structure is sort of instantaneously heightened. So
0: is there something specifically about industrial heritage sites that you think, you know, makes sound an interesting thing to observe there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there are very specific and interesting things about industrial sound uh, which made me want to take this on as part of my project. Um, the original motivation kind of came out of this sound installation that I saw at the uh, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, Mass MoCA, um a few years ago now um, by a sound artist named Stephen Vidiello who did this piece called All These Vanished Engines. Um, that was in a repurposed industrial space on the side of the museum and it just really was eerie and evoked this feeling of kind of loss and absence in that space the space that you know would have been at one point occupied by all of these machines and people making things but today is just completely empty and that sound really like brought all of that history to mind so you know I, I that was kind of the original impetus but i also think you know it's really interesting in the context of industrial heritage to think about what kinds of new sounds were happening in new kinds of spaces you know the architecture of industry was kind of unprecedented in human history and the machines of mass production that occupied those spaces and the sounds that they made were also quite unprecedented so I think it's it's interesting to just kind of consider that on its own, but also we can, you know, maybe use sound as a way more broadly to think about our environment more holistically as not just a a visual thing, but as a full sensory experience. You know, you think about this idea of noise pollution, and it's a really modern idea. It's not something that people were really thinking about in the same way that we do today you know back in the 16 and 1700s
0: no that 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 definitely makes a a lot of sense um but i mean so i know that you know when we when we were traveling together you ended up i don't know feeling like you weren't making as many audio recordings as as you had hoped or you know i got the sense that maybe the process was was different or more difficult than you initially anticipated um so i don't know i'm wondering do you agree with that and and if so you know why why was that
1: Well, I mean, part of it was really just dealing with the equipment. You know, I've been using this zoom recorder, which is pretty much the industry standard. But, you know, on top of carrying around a camera and a couple of different lenses, it's just one more thing to just heft around. And, you know, that that kit load gets pretty heavy pretty fast. So especially last year when I was still using our old DSLR camera, which was really big and bulky and had this big wide angle lens, I just didn't end up taking the Zoom recorder out into the field that much.
0: It is also just kind of a, a weird-looking object if if you don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone knows what a camera looks like, but I always feel a little bit awkward getting out the audio recorder, especially when I'm using the windscreen.
0: Which is that like, fuzzy thing that goes on the end of the microphone and is amazingly called a dead kitten in the trade. <laughs>
1: yeah so it looks like i'm carrying around this weird technological object with muppet fur on one end and i i'm just never sure how people are going to react and that initially made me more hesitant to use it
0: so have things changed since you've been in europe i mean have you have you started using it more
1: Yes, I have. And I mean, part of the reason has just been that I've upgraded my camera gear. So now I have a lighter, smaller camera kit to carry. Um, And I'm also carrying a bigger bag. So bringing the Zoom recorder along isn't such a big deal. Um, Also, after we ran that audio test in October, comparing an iPhone recording to the Zoom recording, I really understand the difference in audio quality that comes from using a professional field microphone.
0: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So that's when we were standing near the Naka incineration plant, which is in this kind of industrial part of Hiroshima. Uh, And there were all kinds of interesting sort of incidental and industrial ambient noises going on.
1: Yeah. So why don't we actually play those two clips and see if our listeners can guess which came off an iPhone and which came off the Zoom recorder?
0: That's a great idea. All right. Here's the first recording. And now the second recording. So, as you probably already guessed, the first recording you heard was from the iPhone, and the second was from the Zoom recorder. And yeah, I could really tell the difference in terms of sort of depth of sound and texture and kind of Imagining sort of a three-dimensional space, that sort of stereo feeling was, was a lot more present on the Zoom recorder.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The The recording in stereo makes such a difference to that sort of uh, spatialized sound perception.
0: Which is exactly what you were trying to capture in this, you know, looking for what the space and how the space interacts with the sound and all of that. That stereo is, is so important as compared to something like, you know, maybe a a voice, you know, a podcast like this, or even musical recording where mono can be, can be pretty serviceable.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So while I've made a lot of other recordings on my iPhone, I mean, it's it's a handy tool to have just because I always have it on me. It was this test that we ran that convinced me to start carrying the zoom around with me more regularly.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So you're at a site and you've got the recorder with you. You know, how do you decide when and where to make a sound recording?
1: Well, typically I make a recording when there's some live industrial sound to hear. You know, let's say active machines on site that are creating some kind of interesting sound.
0: Okay, so let's listen to two examples of that. And, and just as a disclaimer, we're going to turn the volume way down on these so as to not burst your eardrums. Um, if you want the real industrial experience, though... Feel free to turn the volume up as far as you want.
1: So that first clip that we heard was from my trip to see the working windmills at Vons Chans in the Netherlands. And the second was a demonstration of a modern industrial cotton loom at the Museum of Industrial Heritage in Ghent.
0: Yeah, I loved in that first recording in the windmills, there was a real sense of impact and reverberation. I mean, was that part of the milling process or what was that?
1: Yeah, so what you're hearing there is this sort of percussive action that happens um whenever the windmill rotates all the way around something kind of like ka-chunk chunks over um and for me it was just such a illuminating experience because um you know I, I typically think of industrial sounds as the really loud ones that are associated with like steam power and um coal um mm-hmm. And so hearing this windmill and how just loud it was standing there, um, with purely mechanical power, just the power of wind making stone and wood bang together, um, right. kind of blew my mind.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a really good point. And and speaking of illuminating, that second recording at the cotton loom was um <laughs> was was great it had that 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 very textural kind of clackety clack I mean for me it also also kind of brought to mind an image of like a a printing press or you know newspapers going off the reel announcing some major event it had this really kind of busy worker bee very kind of minute lots of little actions which was which was fun to hear
1: yeah absolutely um and I I guess that one, I was mostly just surprised at how loud it was. Um, they actually, as part of the display had, um, a volume monitor, um, and that, uh, loom is going at about 93 decibels, which is really, really loud. So the Mm. docent that they have working there, who's just basically the person who turns the loom on whenever a visitor walks by, um, He has ear protection that he wears because it's, you know, it's fine if you get it in a small dose when you just are, you know, walking by and watching it for two or three minutes. But if you're doing that all day, like that's that's a lot for your ears to deal with. So it was not surprising at all to me that this guy had these massive headphones to put on.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a worker there and just have your hearing irreparably damaged. Um, Well,
1: yeah, these are these are modern cotton looms though so they they would have been contemporaneous with uh working environments in which um hearing protection was mandatory so i guess that's a good thing at least
0: oh, okay good um well i think that still historically there was a lot of ear damage to industrial absolutely
1: workers. yes yeah um, yeah i mean you can imagine just being a one of the people working in that flour mill right you know yeah. back in the the 1700s like Hearing that all day, every day is going to do something to your eardrums for sure.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, other than recording kind of loud things in industrial spaces, you know, (laughs) what else might inspire you to make a recording?
1: Well, I'll also make a recording sometimes if there's an interesting interaction between sound, you know, either intentional sound or incidental sound um, and the space that I'm in. So let me play you an example of that. I um... you. So, yeah, what we just heard was a reading of um, the list of victims' names in a memorial space at the Bois de Cazier mine, which is the, the place with the bird song that you heard at the top of the show. Um, so there was this terrible accident at this mine back in 1956, which claimed over 250 lives. And so um, the site, in addition to being an industrial heritage site, is also a memorial site. So the, the sort of core of this memorial um, is a space that's near the original mine shaft um, in this brick room. And I thought the acoustics of this sound installation were quite remarkable. You maybe heard some of that echo in the clip that we played, because um, there were four different speakers in the room, and... Throughout the sound installation, it alternated between the speakers, so you were getting this kind of 360-degree sonic experience um, as, the, as the reading of names alternated between the speakers.
0: Yeah, well, and it, it also sort of emphasized a sort of hollow feeling to the space, which I think t- lends towards the, the feeling of, of memoriam and, you know, absence and loss.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was a really effective addition um to just showing the the pictures of the victims which were also in the memorial.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious. I mean, have you realized anything about in architecture more generally or specifically industrial architecture through the process of listening to these soundscapes and and recording the soundscapes in these industrial heritage places?
1: Well, uh, let me answer your question in part um, with yet another audio clip here. So now what does that clip evoke for you? You know, what what do you see in your mind as you listen?
0: Yeah, you know what the first thing that came to mind is sort of the Diego Rivera mural at the Detroit Institute of Art. And just that that image of, you know, this this worker kind of hammering some large piece of metal and, and very sort of epic brawny construction with a Probably a furnace in the back. Uh, I mean, it it seemed there was definitely a human element to it, but it, despite the fact that there were no human sounds, um, and uh, yeah, very evocative of, of of like hardcore industry.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that sound is actually the sound of a spinning mule Jenny, which was this massive textile machine that was actually typically operated by children because they were the only ones small enough to kind of like. Uh, climb under it which is terrifying
0: that is absolutely Um, terrifying (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, and the uh, the recording that i played was from a sound installation at the industrial museum in ghent where they actually have one of these machines preserved it's not working but it's it's in a room and and if you see it and see how massive it is you understand why you know they can't keep it operational because it's like 60 feet long by six feet wide it's this just really long horizontal thing Um, and when it, this massive thing moves back and forth, it makes that really intense rhythmic sound.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a very familiar sound.
1: Exactly. And I, I only realized why a few days later when I was in Brussels, when I went to the house of European history museum. So in their section about industrialization as this kind of broad Europe wide phenomena. They had a soundtrack meant to just evoke industry in general. And guess what the soundtrack was?
0: Was it a spinning mule, Jenny?
1: Exactly that. So, you know, one of the things that I've realized as part of my travels is the ways in which we envision the architecture of industry is so narrow in a lot of ways. And I think we really lose out on the nuance and diversity of industrial culture and experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, before we started our trip together last year, you know, whenever someone said industrialization, you know, from a historical perspective, I really just kind of pictured belching smokestacks in 1880s London.
1: Yeah, precisely. And, you know, I think hearing the same kinds of industrial sounds, um, which are used to basically stand in. For industrialization as a whole, you know, that makes me wonder, you know, what else has been lost from the sound heritage of industry, you know, if we're just using this sort of same recording of the spinning mule Jenny whenever we want to talk about industry like there were a lot of other different kinds of machines and industrial processes um, in the 19th and early 20th century. Uh, but we don't tend to hear those as much. So it, it feels like versions of industrial sound that we experience as museum or heritage site visitors is kind of in a lot of ways like sanitized or impoverished. And so I think that's just good to keep in mind that the sound of a single machine might dominate a real historical industrial experience. But, you know, there would have been other sounds alongside that machine that are now lost to us, as people in the 21st century,
0: well, and and very importantly, I think the sounds of the people in along the industry are lost to us. You know, the sounds of shouting over the din of the the machines and trying to keep everyone on the same page. You know, working at at the right shift, and also just right. the sound of workers cleaning up after you know, shifts in this grimy factor. I mean, these are all new sounds, new experiences for humans. um, And, and all we, all we have are, are the spinning mule jennies of today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's, that in a nutshell is kind of why, why I think this sound project has been um, an interesting aspect to explore um, as part of the, the Brooks fellowship.
0: Definitely. Well, folks, I think we're already running a little bit over for this week, so I guess it's time to wrap it up. But before that...
1: As a special treat to our listeners. That semi-recurring segment, John's Animal Corner, this week, I believe, also features an audio recording.
0: That's right, yeah. After our, our trip together, I've been a little bit more uh, willing to bust out the, the voice recorder on the iPhone, even if it's not as good as the Zoom and pick up some interesting sounds that I encounter around the world. Many of those sounds happen to come from our very talkative dog, Nessa. And here is a clip of her and uh, the other dog, Pluto, having a lot to say about a passing train. So, here it is.
1: Oh, gosh. Our dog, Nessa, always has something to say.
0: Doesn't she, though? Well, that about does it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, and as always, our theme music is by the Liminianas.
1: Happy trails, listeners.